Welcome to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Callie O'Connor. I've gone from career burnout to taking multiple career breaks, scoring several remote jobs, and even starting my own business while traveling to over 80 countries. The one thing that held me back from starting sooner was that I didn't believe it was possible for me. I wasn't aware that travel could become part of my lifestyle. Through this podcast, I'm so excited to share with you the travel possibilities that are out there for you. In season two, we're talking all about remote work. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I am your host, Callie O'Connor, and I have another awesome interview to share with you today. I'm so excited about this guest. So let me just give you a brief introduction to her. Erica Vervo Hackman is a community enthusiast, connector, and purposeful traveler. As an adult, Erica's lived in Qatar, rural Thailand, South Korea, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Zambia, and Costa Rica. Erica has been an integral part of Nomadic Mat's remote team since 2013. And since then, she spent a large chunk of time working from Dubai, Qatar, Vietnam, Thailand, South Africa, Iceland, Germany, Jordan, and even from a yoga retreat in Cambodia. In 2019, she helped create Nomadic Mats Community, the Nomadic Network. And two years ago, TNN, the Nomadic Network, was born. Today, there are over 13,000 people in that community, empowering one another, making friends with other travel lovers, and learning how to travel cheaper, better, longer, and more. She has experience in planning in-person and virtual events, working with volunteers, and building a thriving community. And she's most proud of seeing all the friendships born out of this travel network. So today we have an incredible conversation. We touch on all sorts of things. And I also want to really draw your attention to the show notes for this episode. So a lot of the things that we talk about are all linked in the show notes. So it's more links than usual, lots of good resources there. And you can even catch the link to my presentation that I did with the Nomadic Network last year. So without further ado, here is the interview with Erica. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Travel Possibilities podcast. I am so excited to share my guest today. I have Erica Vervo Hackman from the Nomadic Network. She works with Nomadic Matt, and so she knows a ton about remote work, and I'm going to hand it over to her to give a brief introduction of herself, who she is, what she does, and we'll take the conversation from there. So Erica, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, so Basically, what you said was true. I am the director of the Nomadic Network. I've been working remotely for Nomadic Map for almost nine years. Before that, I have sort of a crazy travel history. So I'll give it to you in like the shortest way possible. But basically, during college, I decided that I wanted to go on an on an adventure. So I, um, instead of the trip to Rome that I thought I was going to do for my semester abroad, I ended up going to the Middle East and studying abroad in Qatar, falling in love with it, spending my whole last year there, graduating from there. And then realizing that since there was so many misconceptions about 
what the Middle East would be like for me as an American woman, um, I felt very inspired to see the rest of the world because I felt like my amazing year abroad in Qatar just like opened my eyes to the fact that what people think the Middle East is like isn't necessarily what it's like. So I looked for opportunities where I could travel and I traveled super duper cheaply <laughs> because I was a college student that was trying not to use her interior design degree to get a job. So I was working on, um, or I was traveling on waitressing money. So I basically went home waitressed, found a volunteer position uh, in Thailand where I could teach high school students English just for in exchange for room and board I lived with the host family that was actually the head English teachers family and while I was there it was so fun I lived in rural Thailand and taught English there but my money ran out in a number of months and I had met so many people remote or sorry not remote working but um teaching English in South Korea. And so I was like, Ooh, I could do that and get paid for it. So I got my TEFL. I went and taught English in South Korea for 14 months. I ended up saving $21,000 in 14 months and then traveling for 21 months on that money. So I went, <laughs> I went to St. Vincent and the Grenadines, which is this tiny island in the Caribbean and lived on a uh, community service learning commune sort of school in this very tiny island in the Caribbean where we farmed and ate guavas and learned about how to make a difference in rural communities abroad. And then we were sent in groups of two or three overseas in uh, to sub-Saharan Africa specifically. And so I went to Zambia and I worked with farming cooperatives for six months, um, revitalizing these cooperatives so that they could work better together and learn from each other and learn from the resources that the government was trying to provide but was not necessarily providing well. And so I did that for six months and then I went back to St. Vincent and the Grenadines completed my program. And then I traveled a bit and went home to Connecticut and decided, you know what? I really miss my family. I should probably stay in Connecticut for a while. And I, I really tried to give it a go, but after a few months, I ended up in Costa Rica <laughs> <laughs> and I just sort of had like a breakdown and was like, Connecticut is not made for me. The U S is not made for me. I need to be abroad. And when I was in Costa Rica, I realized like, okay, it's been five ish years that I've been abroad and I really do miss my family. And so if I want to be based out of like the U S so that I could be you know, close to them, I should probably get a job and travel. I didn't know what remote work was. I didn't know anything. I was farming. <laughs> like <laughs> I was farming in Costa Rica. I was farming in St. Vincent. I was farming in, in Zambia, which is sort of crazy. And so then when I got home, um, I ended up getting the job with Nomadic Matt in a, a sort of crazy way. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) I'm obsessed. Like Erica, you are my people. I love that story. I knew some about you, but I didn't know all the details and this is just so good. So I do want to unpack a little bit and then we'll get to the story about how you met Nomadic Matt and got a job there. But first of all, studying abroad in Qatar. Like if you just told me that nobody studies abroad in Qatar. And I love that so much as someone who studied Arabic in college. I'm like, hey, so yeah, (laughs) it's yeah, I studied it. Do I speak it? No. Can I read it and write it still? Yeah. So is that useful? No, but (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you went from maybe going to Italy to going to Qatar. Yeah. I mean, the, the opportunity presented itself in a really weird way. So um, Virginia Commonwealth University is the school that I was in, and it's actually the number one public art school in the U.S. Um, and so Qatar, as a country, really wanted to be like the educational capital of the Middle East. So the one of the queens, Sheikha Moza, decided that she would bring... Um, well, basically in the culture of Qatar, like men are typically allowed to leave and go live abroad and study abroad and do that. But women are not necessarily like it's sort of frowned upon. I want to say still today. And so, and this is like 15 years ago. So what Sheikha Moza did, the queen, um, was she said, I want to make this the educational capital of the Middle East. And so if our if we're not accepting of our women and our girls to go study abroad, why don't we bring like international schools here so that they could get the international education, but like within the confines of our culture so that we feel safe educating them and, and making sure that they have these things. And honestly, it was a really cool program because what, what they did was they decided that since, um, in the Middle East, they were, or in Qatar specifically, they were doing like a ton of building projects, but usually they were hiring outside firms from like Italy or from America or whatever to do the design because they actually didn't have a design school in Qatar. So what they decided to do was bring VCU Qatar or VCU to Qatar to put their design program in their country so that they could start breeding um, designers that were Qatari and Qatar based. And so my school (laughs) had a had a branch campus there for 10 years. And in the 10 years that I was there or in the 10 years that the school was there, no American exchange students had gone over. But every few years or maybe every year at the time, they had a conference that they literally brought over 30 people, 10 faculty members and 20 students to go and see the campus and also go to a conference there. And so for three years, I tried to go. And my third year, I just like basically begged them. And I was like, listen, I'm the only person that's applied for this for three years. I don't know why you don't keep picking me, (laughs) like just pick me. And so they did. And when I got picked, um, it was sort of crazy. I knew nothing about the country at all. And 
and I got picked in the fall. And then come January, we actually had three students that came from the campus in Qatar to our campus. And so I introduced myself to them and I said, hey, you know, you don't know me. I'm American. I'm actually going to Qatar in a few months and I know nothing about it. I'll teach you all about America if you teach me all about Qatar. And so we became like best friends. I drove them everywhere. I took them everywhere. They came all over. They came to visit my family like outside and it was just really fun. And so then when I went to Qatar, they sent their families to me so that I had like this really great experience. So if you ask me about Qatar, I would say it's one of the most hospitable places I've ever been. I love the family values that they have. I love, you know, there's such a focus on family. There's such a focus on friends. They really do treat each other super well. And I just had the greatest experience. So I was signed up to go to Italy and I was like, you know what? I just, I want more time in Qatar. It's cool here. And it's so different. And I've never experienced something like this. So I decided to go. I actually told my professor, I said, uh, I really want to go study abroad. And, and she said, okay, as long as you come back for your last semester to graduate. And I was like, I promise. And then I never came back. <laughs> I love it so much. Like this is what travel is all about. Just like really sharing culture, meeting people Mm -hmm. and the hospitality in the Middle East is unparalleled. I totally agree with you. I haven't been to Qatar, but I've been to Oman and Saudi Arabia and it's just so welcoming. So I love that we're talking about the Middle East here and like, I love hearing about your experiences. So thank you. It's important for people like that are not Middle Eastern to go to the Middle East and tell other non-Middle Easterners what it's like, because it is very different than what we see in the news. And I love that it's so different because I don't love how the news portrays the Middle East. Like all my friends are the most hospitable, sweetest. Like I love their families. I feel like an extra sister to all of them. Like I actually consider them some of my best friends in the whole world. I have a WhatsApp group that we talk on every single day and I haven't, you know, I haven't studied there in 15 years. I've actually gone back every single year until the pandemic. Wow. Yeah. So I go to all of my friends' weddings, no matter where it is in the Middle East. So I've been to weddings in Egypt, a few in Jordan, Lebanon, um, Qatar, Dubai. Yeah. So I go every single year until the pandemic. Oh my God. That's like a really unfortunate (laughs) side effect of the pandemic, but how cool to have those experiences and those really deep connections. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure like weddings are so cool to like see how different cultures celebrate mm-hmm. marriage. So that's so exciting. If, if anyone listening takes a piece of advice from me, it is travel for weddings. There's <laughs> nothing better to travel for. There's not a more celebratory, more uniquely cultural event than a wedding in another country. Oh my gosh. Always travel for weddings. (laughs) Incredible. And like, it's so important to build those connections. So you're invited to those weddings. Mm -hmm. So not just seeing all the sites, it's really getting to know the people and building those connections and having these lifelong friendships. Yeah. Amazing. So it seems like up until this point, you were traveling and working in destinations. So remote work wasn't a thing. So 
bring us to the point where you met Nomadic Matt and started working for him in this remote capacity, which is totally different than what you were doing before. Yeah, sure. So I actually knew of Nomadic Matt beforehand. When I was living in St. Vincent, my friend forwarded me, forwarded me an email that said that was from Nomadic Matt. And she just basically said, hey, this guy does what you do, except you pay to do it and he gets paid to do it. And I was like, Ooh, let me, let me sign up for this newsletter list. And so I did. And I ended up going to his book launch when I was in New York and I brought like a ton of friends to his book launch and it was really exciting. And then I ended up, like I said, in Costa Rica. And when I was in Costa Rica, I said to myself, okay, I need to get a job in travel so that I can be based in the U.S., but I can keep traveling. And it's not this unsustainable, like save money, spend all my money, save money, spend all my money. Like I want to be working and traveling. So I had one friend who was in luxury travel, which I would have been awful at because As you can hear, like I was traveling on less than $10,000 a year for five or five-ish years. So I would have been a terrible luxury travel agent, which is what my friend was. But I said, you know, do you, do you have any jobs open at your company? And he said, no, but I go to this young travel professionals meetup. Why don't you come with me? So I went and I met um, like New York, like hotel staff, so many New York hotel staff there. (laughs) And I was like, this no, this is not what I want to do. And then I saw Nomadic Matt and I recognized him because I had gone to his book launch and I was like, oh my God, that's Nomadic Matt. And everyone's like, who? Because this is like nine years ago. He was pretty new. Um, He had a book out obviously, but he wasn't like known in the travel space. And so I went over to him and I started talking to a bunch of people next to him. And eventually he turned around and I was like, oh, do you guys know Nomadic Matt? And everyone's like, "Mm." I was like, well, he has this amazing travel blog that's like inspirational and informational, teaches people how to travel the world on a budget. And he looks at me and he's like, um, who are you? (laughs) I'm like, I'm Erica. I'm a really big fan. And he's like, what, what do you do? And I was like, well, I was traveling the world for years and now I'm looking for a job in travel. And he was like, well do you want to work for me? And I was like, you're joking, right? And he's like, send me an email. And I started working for him that Friday. (laughs) Oh my God. That's such a good story. And like how (laughs) serendipitous that everything just played out like that. I love it. Yeah. And originally it wasn't a remote job, but he was traveling all the time. So he wanted somebody that was based near him. So I was in Connecticut and he was in New York and I could take the train in. And my original contract said something like, if Matt's in town, Erica's required to come into the office up to two times a week because we had a co-working space. At some point we had a co-working space. And so that was like, my contractual obligation but like if I was traveling then obviously that wasn't a thing but if both of us were in the east on the east coast we would be able to see each other up to twice a week so it was (laughs) almost fully remote um 
but he wanted to see my face and have me do like receipts and things that needed to get done in person. So funny. Like the original hybrid role back in the day. Back in the day. (laughs) So question, do you call him nomadic Matt? (laughs) Half the time. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So like now, nine years later, I know your team has been growing. You're bringing on more people in a remote capacity. So what do you look for for people who are joining your team? Yeah, I mean, incredible question. We have built our team out to be a pretty large team. Honestly, I was the second person he hired. Well, aside from him, and there was a tech guy that was working part time. Um, But I was his first full time hire. And now we have I think, eight or nine full time people. And we have so many different branches of the company. Um, And yes, we do hire people a lot. Let's see. When looking for someone for these remote positions, it depends, honestly, because some of them are remote, but they need to be traveling for us. So we can't really hire someone that's like based in Bangladesh, right? Because then we can't send them places. So for one of the positions, they needed to be traveling around the U.S. So they definitely needed to be based in the U.S., but they needed somebody, oh, we needed somebody that knew how to work from a computer, was comfortable working from anywhere, um, had experience traveling a lot. We definitely look for travel experience um, and working on the road experience, like working different places, whether that's remote or in another part of like not at their home so that we know that they'll be successful. Um, And then obviously like the tangible skills are where it's at. So if people are really used to whatever programs we're using, whether it's like WordPress or Airtable or um, just like something as simple as budgeting, like knowing how to budget, like things like that, those tangible skills. But then the one thing that I would say is paramount overall, and I am so clear about this in the beginning, I'm like, listen, you know, we are a remote team. Like you have to have stellar communication skills because for one, we're going to be talking a lot via Slack. We're going to be talking a lot on the phone. We don't get to meet each other. And I can't see if you're sick or not. Like if you're sick one day, you have to tell me, Hey, I'm sick today because I can't see you coughing. Like you're on the other side of, I don't know where you are. You're somewhere way different. So I'm going to assume you're well unless you tell me differently. So like your communication style has to be like on point and you have to be really quick with your communication too, because, you know, there's lots of miscommunications that can happen. And so I need somebody that's able to like recognize their mistakes verbally and, and, you know, in writing and clean up their mistakes. And that's really key. And I feel like I can sort of suss that out when people are applying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. 
And then like for you personally, are there any skills that you've really developed working remotely that you don't think you would have if you were in an office from nine to five every day? I mean, 100%. I don't even know what it's like to be in an office nine to five. It was funny in the beginning of the pandemic because people are like, are you okay working remotely? I'm like, I've been remote for like seven years so far. <laughs> like I'm constantly working out of my kitchen. Um, I think that there is a heightened sense of responsibility because you're working remote. So because you're not visibly in the office, people can't see that you're working. So you definitely have to do your work. Whereas like a lot of people in offices may not be doing much because they're just there. So they're considered working. And so that's something that I feel like I've grappled with since the very beginning, because I've always wanted to show that I'm working. Um, and it's something that I've developed over time, just like figuring out ways to get things done, show that my work is being done, communicate that my work is being done because so many things, especially now that I direct the nomadic network, it's, it's so many things that Matt doesn't see, but like, he really does need to know like what's happening week to week and month to month. So like, how can I communicate that? So I think, um, the skill there would be organization and also just like being personally accountable and responsible for your stuff. Whereas I'm not sure that's in every single role that's an office-based role. Um, I'm not sure because I'm not <laughs> there, but I just assume like if people are in the office, they're considered working, right? Whether there's things checked off or not. So um, that's one thing. Also adaptability, obviously is another thing. I mean, I've worked from every cafe in every country I've worked. I, I don't think I mentioned this yet, but like since nomadic Matt, I've worked remotely in like a ton of countries, um, Qatar, Dubai, Iceland, uh, Indianapolis, which is not a country. <laughs> I mean, all over the U S honestly, but my friend lives in Indianapolis and I spent a while with her. Um, where else? South Africa, London, Germany, Italy, a, a bunch of places. And I think one of the best places that I worked remotely was Vietnam. So I, oh yeah, Cambodia. I worked from a yoga retreat in Cambodia and Thailand, but Vietnam was really great. I had a friend write to me and say like, I really want to go to Vietnam before I turn 30 and don't feel like I can backpack anymore. And I was like, okay, tell me when. And she never ended up coming, but I had booked a ticket for the entire month so that she could just come whenever. <laughs> and so I ended up at this hostel in Hoi An that was um, like indoor, outdoor bungalow sort of hostel. And I had to work remotely. So I woke up at 5 a.m. every day and I worked from 5 a.m. until 1 p.m. That was my eight hour day. And at 1 p.m., I put on my bathing suit, walked 10 steps to the beach, had lunch on the beach, and then came in at sunset, went to yoga, was asleep by like 8 p.m., or sorry, like 10 PM 
and did the same thing the next day. And it was just such a refreshing month because I feel like I had such a schedule and I also like made my schedule so that I was able to like really experience the country that I was in, like in a beautiful way. Like I got to meet so many people since I was off of work at 1 PM, I could make so many friends. I had yoga classes that I could take. I was on the beach, like, and so that was just a really great schedule and experience for me. And I did that for a month and, and Matt was on the opposite time zone. So every time he woke up, he woke up to work done. And I woke up to questions that he had. And then I did the work and then he woke up to the work done and questions, work done questions. And it was great. Um, I love that. Cause like, that's a perfect example of making the time zone thing work for you. And so that's really cool. And did Mm -hmm. you find any challenges being in completely opposite time zones? Nope. I mean, it was nice because usually when we work in the same time zone, it's very much like I'm trying to do something and he needs something else. So I'm like split. My attention is split. So this was more like intentional direction, right? He knew that I would be working while he was sleeping. So he had to give me intentional directions and I had to give him full answers because I knew he couldn't ask me those questions like while I was sleeping. So it was actually much better. And I think our month, my month in Vietnam was one of the best work months I had remotely. Yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And I know a big concern people have with remote work is the whole Wi-Fi situation. So mm-hmm. how do you handle that when you're traveling and working and going to places that maybe people don't typically go to work remotely? Yeah, Wi-Fi can be terrible. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons I woke up at five in the morning was because I was staying at a hostel and their Wi-Fi was not great. And so I wanted to wake up before everyone. And I did. I mean, nobody woke up until 11 there. So at my my internet started getting throttled at like 11, 1130, which is when I was winding down my day. But from 5 a.m. to 1130, I, I was the only one on the internet. Nobody was using it. So that's a good tip because if you try to work at night, that's when everyone's like trying to stream their Netflix and stuff, which just does not work. (laughs) Um, Also, I would always have things to do that are not internet based if you can, like things that you're writing that aren't necessarily based on the internet. Like maybe you're writing it in a Word document so that if the internet does go out, that's, you're not just like sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Um, And then there's also do you do show notes for these? Yes. Uh, So there's also a solution that my husband came up with because we actually just spent, oh, I forgot to say, spent three months in Ghana working remotely. (laughs) So we just spent three months in Ghana working remotely and his, uh, at his parents' house and his parents live in an area that does not have good internet. And we always struggle to have, uh, video calls with him. And my, work now is based in video calls. So I was really worried about working remotely there for three months. And so he came up with this whole solution, um, buying these different hotspots, I think from Google, putting them around the house and then, uh, buying a local SIM card and using that SIM card in the hotspots that worked like 
so that our our internet was equivalent to what we have in New York, which was insane because this area does not get internet. So it was really incredible. And it's actually a system that could be used all over the world. And he made a really intricate YouTube video with all the devices linked, which is why I asked if you're doing show notes, because we can put that in the show. Yes. I would love that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so cool. And like, that's so useful. That's something like you don't normally hear as the solution. So I'm excited to learn more about that and watch that mm-hmm. for any potential future things. Cause yeah, you should bring it around with you. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was the first time I used it in nine years was this like kind of solution. Usually I just am a victim to whatever Wi-Fi we have. Yeah. Like make it work. You end up in like a lot of cafes, just like you can find a Starbucks. Usually it's okay, but there aren't yeah. Starbucks everywhere. So yeah. that's super awesome. Mm-hmm. And then for you personally, what tips do you have for balancing your travel with your job? <sighs> My tips would be, I mean, I really loved that month in Vietnam. I always think of it as like the ideal way to do a remote work situation. You're living with people because you're in a hostel. You are working hours that are not necessarily when people are awake. So you're not necessarily missing out on time with like making friends and things like that. And then I had a yoga class that I went to. So I made a ton of friends and I had something to do every day. So I would try to do something like that. If you're working remotely, especially if you're staying in a place for a long time, I would try to do like recurring things that you can see the same people. So you sort of start building friendships and community instead of like every day thinking, okay, what can I do? Okay. What, what temple can I see? What museum can I go to? Because then you're sort of like in this, you know, FOMO mindset, whereas like you sort of want to just be in like, the work and then play mindset. And so doing something that's repetitive, even if it's just like Mondays, I do this or Monday, Wednesdays, I do this. It's nice because it sort of starts getting you to think consistently and you're already on a consistent, like I'm working every day mindset. You're not like this. I'm just here for three days and I'm so free. Like you're already sort of in a routine mindset. So setting up play routines are also really important. And I think being gentle with yourself and not feeling like you have to see everything if you're working. I mean, you are in a very privileged position to be earning money while you're traveling. So like, you don't, you don't need to be at the level of the people that are just like doing their one week vacation right? So you need to just be gentle with yourself, realize you're not going to do all that stuff because you are working and there are responsibilities. Absolutely. And like, that's great advice. Anyway, you don't always have to do everything in a destination just because it's there. And like, Mm -hmm. sometimes we feel that pressure for some unknown reason. And like, I've personally felt this and it's bizarre because I'm like, I don't even like that, but I'm doing this because it's there. That makes no (laughs) sense. 
So like, that's a great attitude to have. Like you are working. That is your priority and you get to do these things too, but Mm -hmm. you don't have to do everything. Yeah. Awesome. So I mean, travel seems to have been a huge part of your adult life. What impact has it made on you? I love traveling. I feel like it's sort of like 95% of my personality. (laughs) And the other 5%? (laughs) Other, other, other (laughs) miscellaneous stuff. (laughs) Um, I feel like, you know, it's really where I found myself. I feel like I was sort of going through the motions for the first part of my life. And then when I went to Qatar, I really opened my eyes to like what I could, what I could create with my life. And so that was big, a big impact for me. But I also think that traveling is like one of the easiest ways to world peace. I think that we as a, as human beings have a way of just like thinking about certain parts of the world and sort of coloring them in with a broad brush that says like whatever we're told about it, right? Like, you know, if you want to take Asia, for example, like maybe every time you think of Asia, you think of like rice. I don't know, something stupid like that. But the second you meet someone from Thailand, like all of a sudden Thailand becomes something that's not rice. It's like, oh, my friend Nock and her family. And then you meet your other friend from Hong Kong and you're like, oh, that's what Hong Kong is like. Oh, that's very different. And so like this like broad stroke of something stupid like rice sort of gets disappeared and you can have human connections to these different countries. And I really think that like, as you watch the news, like if you don't know someone from that place, it's easy to just discount the news as something that's happening to them over there. But once you start putting faces to these countries, and even if it, even if those people never went to that country, right? Like I have a lot of Palestinian friends that have never stepped foot in Palestine. But like when I hear about Palestine now, I think of all my Palestinian friends that, you know, and their strife. And so it really does put faces to these like dots on a map that are sort of other until you have people that you know from there. So I, I really think that it's easy to be mad at other. And I think the more, the less other you have in the world, the more friends you have in the world, the less hate you have in the world and the more love you have in the world. And that can only contribute to world peace, right? You can't really start a war with people you love. That's why, you know, when you see what's happening, uh, you know, going on in Ukraine right now, they're trying to really humanize it because it's easy to just say, you know, this country, but once you start putting faces and people, you see like, oh my God, they're just like me, or that kid looks like my kid, or that looks like my grandparent. And, you know, it starts humanizing it in a way that you you may not have seen it like that before. And so I think that travel is just, 
an incredible experience for you as a person, but also for the world in general. And I wish that so many people could experience life like this and could really meet someone. I, you know, I was just at TravelCon and I met this woman from South Dakota. And I literally said to her, I don't think I've ever met anyone from South Dakota before. She's like, you're the 10th person that told me that today. (laughs) I'm like, you know, so it doesn't have to be another country. It's just like meeting people that then like color your view in a different way. And you're like, oh, okay. That woman was from South Dakota. And she like changed my opinion of what I thought maybe South Dakotans were like. So that's what I think the power of travel has really. And if you ask anyone, you know, what they feel like when they go meet other people in the world, it's usually like, oh, they're just like me. But like beyond that, it's like, they're just like me in a way that like, I don't have to hate them because they're different. Yeah. I love that so much. Like it's really powerful and I totally agree. And if you can approach it with an open mind, I think you can really surprise yourself with what you learn in your travels. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And on that note, can you talk more about the nomadic network and the mission behind it and how people can get involved if they're not already part of it and how it ties into all of these things we've already talked about? Yeah, the nomadic network is nomadic mats, uh, in person and virtual community. And we're really there to connect people to other travelers and resources that get them to travel better. So we have lots of different events. We're pretty much an events community because you have to meet people, right? (laughs) So we put on different kinds of virtual events. Some of them are presentations where people like you come on and share (laughs) things like, you know, how to take a travel career break or how, what to do in Portugal or, you know, how to work remotely or how to pack your bag better. Like there's lots of different topics. And then we also have virtual book clubs where we actually all read a travel book together. And then we invite the author to come and share with us, discuss, you know, their motives behind writing it and answer any of our questions. And then we have in-person and virtual because of the pandemic, uh, regional meetups where you can actually like meet people in your, Uh, community like that live near you so that you can basically find your travel best friends. That's our whole goal is for you to feel like you have like-minded travelers near you and that you're not the only person that you know that travels because it can be a lonely experience. You know, it's hard. I experienced it 100% when I went back to Connecticut after living abroad for five years. It's hard to feel like you can meet people on your wavelength when you're back at home or when you're like settled in a place because it's it's sort of an anomaly to find other people that are that obsessed with traveling so our goal is to connect like the readers of nomadic mat and the members of the nomadic network in a way that has them feel really seen and appreciated and also so that they can learn how to travel cheaper, better, longer, and more, you know, like we want people out in the world. Otherwise that whole goal that I have, I mean, that's more of my personal goal of world peace. Um, but like that can't be achieved by us all just sitting back and 
being in our own head, in our own lives. It's about being out in the world and meeting each other. So a way to um, connect with us is we're on Instagram, the.nomadic.network, or um, you can sign up at thenomadicnetwork.com. And you can, we have all sorts of free events that we put on. We put on anywhere from like two to six events a week. So you can see if one's coming near you or there's a lot of virtual events and we would love to see you there because the only requirement for being a member is that you're not a travel hater. You can't come in and tell people that what they're doing is awful. <laughs> but as long as you like travel, you're welcome in a, into our community and you're above 18. Um, but yeah, we're just trying to connect the like-minded travelers of the world, you know. Amazing. And like, I've met so many great people through the nomadic network already. And it's so funny that like, once you kind of get your community, what you're doing doesn't feel so different anymore. It feels like the normal thing because you're surrounded by people who are mm -hmm. have a similar mindset. So I love mm -hmm. it. And we'll link all of what Erica mentioned in the show notes if you are interested in joining. Yeah. Wonderful. Awesome. So I thank you so much for being here, Erica. I want to be mindful of your time and I could totally talk to you all day. So just closing thoughts. Do you have any advice for somebody who does want to travel more and they're not quite sure how to go about it? Like they might want to work remotely. They just, they kind of feel in this stuck predicament and they know they want to travel, but they don't know how to get there. Sure. Um, I would say that one of the best skills for you to develop, <laughs> it's going to sound really stupid, but is, you know, writing a good email is one of the best skills that you can develop because honestly, like as I was going through, um, I'm just talking about hiring, right? As I was going through this, the people that wrote good emails are the people that I paid closer attention to. The people that wrote good cover letters are the people that I, I paid closer attention to. And by good, I mean short to the point and value-based, not like why you want to travel the world because you know, as an employer, I just assume you want to travel because you, it's fun, right? I don't need to know your whole story. <laughs> I just need to know what you're going to bring to the company. And like every, every employer will tell you the same thing, like speak to what you're going to bring to the company and how, you know, you have skills to support that. So I would really critically look at your uh, email writing skills and your communication skills in general and see, um, you know, how you can polish those up, but otherwise, okay. I have another piece of advice. There's also cool jobs that you can do, um, that aren't necessarily working remotely, but that can get you there. So like teaching English in South Korea was incredible because really, you're in a new place. So all the only obligation you have is eight hours of work a day and eight hours of sleep. So now you have eight hours to do whatever you want. So you could do online courses. You could start a blog. You could start a thing. You could be a virtual assistant. You could start your virtual remote work thing 
in South Korea while you're there for a year or two, earning the money that you need to sort of take your business off. So that's a really great launch pad um, to creating your remote work. And so really like having a goal and then maybe like taking a baby step toward that goal and saying, okay, in two years, I want to be working remotely. How do I need to get there? Like, what do I need to do to get there in two years is also a good approach because a lot of people are like, I hate my job. I want to leave today, but like you haven't laid any of the groundwork for it. So that's another piece of advice, but I think that anything is possible and you can really create whatever kind of experience that you want. Just sort of talk to people and see what they're doing. I mean, I think what you're, what you're creating here is really great. Um, podcasts in general, like about specific niche topics are so great because you get to connect with all these people that can speak about it in a way that like gets you closer to all these people that have been there and done that. And it gets you, you know, into that water that you were talking about where it's like the remote workers, it's like the, the water you swim in, right. It's the Mm -hmm. air you breathe is remote workers. That's how I feel like my life is. So it's a little crazy to me when people are like, Oh, I have to go back into, into the office. When do you have to go back in? I'm like, I, I don't go back into the, I don't have an office, <laughs> you know? So yes. yeah, building that community is really great. So you're doing a great job. Thank you. Absolutely. It's like, it's so easy to feel alone, but like really there are people out there. You just need to believe that they're out there. You open your mind to it. And then possibilities just show up. It's crazy. Like mm. your story, meeting nomadic Matt, you put your intention out there. You're like, I want a job and travel. And then it literally happened. And so, so bizarre, such a cool story. (laughs) And so Erica, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing all of your wisdom. It's been fantastic. Um, If you guys want to learn more about Erica and the nomadic network, we will link it all in the show notes. You can find it there. And so thank you so much. All right. Bye everyone. We will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would be so thankful for your positive review on Apple Podcasts so I can keep the episodes coming. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra tips and travel inspiration on Instagram by following me at The Travel Shifters or by visiting my website at travelshifters.com. Thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.